Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name is Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. Jamie Mitchell is a former Australian under-19s cricketer who now works at Autism Australia in a support coordination role. Jamie courageously shared with me that he's been living with bottled-up stress and PTSD for decades after he was the victim of a traumatic incident that occurred while on a tour of India and Sri Lanka when he was 18. He has recently spoken out publicly about his sexual assault and the lack of support available for male survivors of sexual violence. Jamie was open, vulnerable, and honest in discussing the impact it's had on himself and those around him. His story shines a light on the importance of creating an open conversation around men's mental health and male sexual abuse. Jamie, so nice to meet you, mate. I uh, feel very lucky that uh, our mutual friend, Chambo, who I've interviewed yes. twice on here now, um, introduced us. And I say this so so often, but, you know, it's one of my favorite parts of the podcast, just getting to connect with people like yourself that I wouldn't have met otherwise and have these conversations. Mm. And, you know, you've got your own story that, um, we, you know, we're going to share today. So really appreciate mm. you uh, making the time to come on. Thanks, Nick. No, it's it's a wonderful opportunity to to talk to yourself. And yes, our, our mutual friend uh, Pete Chambers, who you've interviewed a couple of times now, is inspirational fellow, and um, talked to me about you a little while ago. And I didn't really twig. And I think at that point, I wasn't really in the right headspace to do any anything apart from just work with um, uh, the the journalists at the time and you know, the federal police and all the other stuff that were going on because there's a full on investigation. So. Um, so now is a good time to start doing stuff like this because I think there's a message there that needs to get out and mm. forums like this one um, seems to be a, a tasteful, appropriate way to, to do it. So no, I'm really glad to be with you today. Yeah, absolutely, mate. No, well, yeah, really, really appreciate that. So I guess before we jump in, can you give, just for our listeners to learn a bit more about you, can you give a bit of a background on yourself and, and just how you came to be where you are today? Sure. So, um, 1985, um, I was uh, picked in the Victorian under-19 cricket team, uh, went to Hobart for the national championships. These championships happen every year. Um, had a good carnival. Uh, as a result of that, got picked in the Australian under-19 team. And that Australian under-19 team went to India and Sri Lanka for eight weeks across February and March 1985. So. Um, at the time, probably the biggest thrill of my life. I mean, get to play for your country, all really good. Um, 16 young cricketers who were obviously very talented, great opportunity. Uh, were we ready to go to India and Sri Lanka? No. Um, were we prepared to go to India and Sri Lanka? No. Um, I end up going there and come back, um, come back the victim of a, of, of, of a rape um, by the team doctor. So it's okay to talk about that because it's all out in the open now. 
Um, the problem was that coming back from that 1985 tour, I always suspected something something happened on that tour that something bad happened on that tour. But but I just I didn't know what it was. I just wasn't sure. So for a couple of decades, really, probably three decades, um, there's a lot of this innuendo, a lot of um, talk in the background. For instance, uh, when I came back from that tour in 1985, uh, you'd be playing great cricket. <clears throat> After the game, you'd go to most clubs, have a bar at that, at that point, have a few beers with the opposition, and it wouldn't be unusual for someone to say, what happened with you in India? What happened to you in... And I'd say, I, I don't know, mate. I don't know what you're talking about. So this would become, it, it bugged me. It really did bug me that, that people would come up and say, what, what happened with you and the coach in India? What, what's the story with you two? And you would just say something like, um, mate, if you know something, please tell me because I don't know. I've got no idea what you're talking about. So after a while, that wears you down. And there's this question, it becomes self-fulfilling. So you start to think, well, fuck, what did happen to me in India? What, what don't I know? What did happen? So one night, um, about two years ago now, I was just flicking through Facebook, I think it was, and there was a um, a picture of the Australian 19 team picture that was taken in New Delhi. We only had the one official team photo. And there it was, just flashed up before me. I took me by surprise. Um, and I stopped and read it, and someone had penned an article, and the article for want of a better term, was um, return on investment. It's probably the best way to put it. So an under-19 team, if you get one player that comes out of that that ends up playing for Australia, that's that's a pretty good return. That's not bad. Mm. We, we had five, uh, and then we had another seven, I think, that played first-class cricket. So from a return on investment out of 16 players, for 12 of them to go on and play for the country or their state – is a hell of an effort. So it, it underlines how strong that team was. But that particular era, um, and some of those names went on to be the names that um, dominated world cricket for the next 10 years. Mm. As I read that story, I couldn't pick fault with the facts of that story. That was true. Um, but something just exploded in my head saying, that's actually not, that's not the story of that tour. That, mm. That's not the story that people need to know about that tour. They need to know about the fact that the coach uh, would bring you know little boys to his to his room and take photographs of them in the nude, and we would uh, be exposed to things that we should never have been exposed to. And even though we would uh, talk to the team manager saying, "Why are those kids in that room? What's going on?" We were getting assurances at the time that that's all under control. They, the Australian Cricket Board, know about it. Um, so someone knew something, uh, but it was condoned. I mean, as they say, you know, silence is complicity. Well, there was a lot of silence yeah. going on. So I responded in a, in a post that um, was a uh, yeah responded to a post which ended up a sliding door moment. Um, getting a call from an old retired journalist, a bloke called Ron Reed, who used to be the editor of the Herald Sun, um, the Hound. He rang to say, you better take that down. You can't go talk, calling people pedophiles and things like that. And I said, well, well mate, it's true. Mm. Um, so anyway, that conversation ended up being, um, I asked Ron, <clears throat> someone's got to do a story. Um, someone's got to tell this story. Someone's got to blow it out. I've got to blow it up. That's all. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This cover-up can't go on for any longer. It's just there are people that are still around that, um, you know, heads of boards and so on that were at 
the Australian Cricket Board back at that time that allowed this to happen. So Ron introduced me to a bloke called Russell Jackson, who's a uh, ABC journalist and amazing human being for a start, but incredible journalist second. And Russell and I started working, and after about 12 months, um, we had a story which was published ABC Online, which um, I guess it brings me to why I'm here today, because mm-hmm. I needed to get some answers. I needed to to find out what happened. And the the most compelling thing, I think, was um, there was what I remember of that tour up until the article being published, and then there was what I knew happened on that tour after the article was published, and they're two very different things. So now I'm dealing with what I know, not what I remember, and what I know ends up not being very pleasant, but if not for um, Russell being his dogged, determined self, um, we wouldn't have uncovered what we think, um, well, what we know uh, happened. So um, it's been a long journey, but it's been worthwhile because in in your quieter moments, um, and Russell did say when we started working that because this is the sort of journalism he does, and uh, it's not the sort of it's not very pleasant journalism. It's it's, it's can take you into really dark places. And but as Russell said, it says if you can if you can do this sort of journalism, you have to because not everyone can. So I sort of took that mantra on myself, and I thought, well, if if you can do this, if you can call out these big institutions for reprehensible behaviour, even though it might be 37 years ago, if you can, I think you have to. You, you can't be complicit in it by just being silent. So, And I knew my life would change, and, and it did, and it has, uh, and it does um, every day because things do change. So you're dealing, with, um, you're dealing with things that you didn't know about your life that, and I, I don't want to be identified by this, but, um, but there is a part of you that is identified by, by what happened. But now my mission now is to say to blokes out there that it's okay to disclose. I mean, if it's happened to you 40 years ago, um, you don't need to keep it pent up anymore. You can, you'll be believed now. Um, those days of not being believed, they're gone. Hopefully they're gone. Yeah. Um, so the message there is it's okay to disclose because you will get you will get that support. So in the quieter moments, um, I take comfort in the fact that there's been over 100 blokes who have who, as a direct result of reading that story, um, have come forward and disclosed. So wow. that's um, that's something I'm, I'm very proud of. Uh, so it's, I hope it's made a difference to their lives. And so by doing a, a podcast like this to be able to get that message out, it might reach the ears of one bloke who's been keeping a secret for a long time, thinking, "Oh fuck this, I've had enough. This is mm-hmm. it's, it's time to do something about it." So. Yeah, so that's why I'm here today. So it's just a bit of a wrap up of that of that story. It's on. It's ongoing. I need to be very, very clear um, in that the current day Cricket Australia administration are not responsible for what happened back in 1985. I need to be very clear about that. Uh, and I'm working with Cricket Australia, who who I believe are genuine in wanting to um, learn from what happened. I've been working with them directly with the CEO and the the uh, head of integrity there. They want uh, a good story to come out of this, so do I. Um, mm-hmm. So there's things that we're, we're talking about. Um, does it guarantee this sort of thing can never happen again? No, it doesn't. But it, it makes it very difficult for someone with intentions like that 
to carry them out. Um, if anything, it will it will increase the the governance procedures at, at Cricket Australia, and this isn't just cricket. There's also name of sport. We've all got the same same issues. It might increase the governance procedures that, particularly in volunteer sports, where you get people that want to volunteer to be around young kids and so on. Um, the question really needs to be: Why is that? I mean, is it a genuine, a genuine interest in helping to, you know, be the goal umpire, or, or are there other? And it's horrible to even say this, but, but this is where it's sort of taken me that um, very difficult to trust people. I mean, and that's that's not a nice way to live. You want to be able to trust people, but um, there's reasons why there's issues of trust there these days particularly around volunteering in sports clubs. So I think the, the tighter frameworks are uh, the better. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. And, I mean, I think it is so important that we are aware of that and, uh, you know, we need to, like, obviously not lose trust in everyone but also be more diligent about actually thinking about these things that we probably would not have thought about in the past. and probably wouldn't think about if people like yourself weren't coming out and sharing these stories. And, you Mm. know, I think it's incredibly brave that you're out there sharing this and it's really powerful. And I think that, you know, there's nothing more sort of, uh, you know, more powerful that you can do than share these stories, especially as, as a man, because the amount of people that are holding on to things that are feeling shame, that are embarrassed to talk about whatever it is, whether it's a mental health issue, whether it's something they've experienced or, you know, whatever they're going through, they you, you can't really move forward with your life if you're bottling these things up and, you know, we need to talk about it and it's just part of the process and part of us healing and helping each other and, uh, you know, I think it just sets such an example. So I think you will be genuinely changing so many people's lives uh, directly through this process but also indirectly through all of the men out there that are bottling up so many different issues and i see it you know mm. time and time again talking in companies that are you know male dominated and you know often suicides are, mm. are occurring and people don't talk about it and it's just it's crazy it's great that it is more talked about now but i think also um because mental health has become a more talked about issue in general in society we sort of accept that okay it must be okay now but that, that we've only touched the surface really about mm. of where we need to go so so yeah i think it's it's you know amazing what you're doing there's a couple of points you raised here nick that are really important one is um and thanks for saying that you think it's a, a bold i think courageous is the word you used and when the story came out that was generally there are lots of people that reached out and and they were the words they'd use. So, yeah, you know, very brave, very courageous of you. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing that it is. But in a way, inside, I actually don't think it is because all I've done is actually pick up a piece of paper off the floor that should have been picked up a long time ago. So that's a bit of a strange analogy. But if those in charge at the Australian Cricket Board, as it was known then, um, they knew about that Mars bar wrapper, can of coke, whatever, on on the floor there, they, they knew it was there. But no one decided to pick it up, and because no one picked it up, that's what—that's why the opportunity for what happened to me was allowed to happen. So you don't need to be brave or courageous to pick up the coke can. You do need to show some leadership. That's true. And the the, the second thing is that 
There's a case going through the courts at the moment. There's a bloke called Adam Neal who's suing the Footscray Football Club. Um, now, Adam is in court at the moment uh, because my article was published at 10 past six on a Sunday morning. At 10 to nine, Russell Jackson received an email from a bloke called Adam uh, who'd read the story about that bloke, me, and wanted to do something. So you know, that was two years ago, and today they're sitting in court, and hopefully Adam one day will get his soon. We'll see some justice. So if you, the message there is um, if not for the action of going through and, and working with Russell to get as uncomfortable as it was going to be, mm. if there's proof that there's at least one bloke out there who has hopefully will change his life because his story is truly horrendous. Yeah. Um, if people want to read it, they can read it, but it's it's awful. But but to know that Adam read my story, then contacted Russell. So I take a lot of that that makes me feel good. That that there's that one bloke out there who um hopefully will will get justice for the horrible things that happened to him. So you so you're quite right. It's, it, yeah, it, yeah. Brave, courageous. Yes, I, I guess so. But at the end of the day, to me, it's more like being a like an active bystander. So you can sit by and watch things happen and choose to, to think, oh, I won't get involved in that. It looks a bit messy. Looks a bit. It's going to require some effort. And unfortunately, because here's a huge generalisation: people are generally lazy. They may choose that that path. But that's the reason why this sort of shit happens and people's lives get turned around because they, they're not prepared to pick up the Coke can. They'll wait for someone else to pick it up or that's the cleaner's job or wait for the next bloke to walk past it, they'll pick it up. But they won't. They might, but they won't. If they don't, that's when, that's when these things accumulate and people's lives get ruined. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, please click the subscribe button, leave a like or comment, share with your friends and follow me on Instagram at nickbrax. I really appreciate your ongoing support. Yeah, exactly. And I think like you're saying, people, you know, that laziness is, you know, we don't, most people don't want to be out of their comfort zone or if something's confronting, if we have an option a lot of the time to avoid having to confront it, mm. people will. And yeah, that might be the short term, you know, you might feel le- less uncomfortable in the short term, but it's going to create a problem longer term. Mm. So there's there's no way around that. We just need to, Yep. learn you know it's part of this education process when it comes to anything in in this area we need to learn to be more uncomfortable to be able mm. to be more vulnerable and to you know address things that that you know we don't want to talk about um how how difficult was it for you following you know that incident happening at such a young age and then i guess bottling it up for all of those years did that have a range of different impacts on your life or was it sort of compartmentalized or was it something you thought about regularly? How how did, how how was that process for you? Well, I I didn't know what had happened until Russell started writing the story. Um, Yeah. I knew something bad had happened, but I didn't know what it was. Um, But until Russell, uh, the day that he rang to say that he's got confirmation that the, uh, the coach is a pedophile, um, that changed everything because up till that point, the very first day I met Russell, started working with him, I said, don't waste any time on the dock, he's fine. Mm. And Russell's words to me were, when you've been doing this sort of stuff as long as I have, everyone's on the table until they drop off for good reason. 
And I thought, geez, what a horrible way to live your life. And he said, well, mark my words, but we're finished. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Wow. So the good old doc was not the good old doc. The good old doc was um, a bad person. And he yeah. happened to be the president of the AMA for six years as well. So they talk about trust. So we had um, – so I, I, I didn't know what I was actually dealing with apart from all this shit sort of circulating around with people saying, what happened with you in India? Mm. So it wasn't until mm. Russell did the did the digging. Um, and, of course, once you start digging, you can't put the dirt back in the hole. You can't just put your hands up and say, look, that's enough, no more. Mm. You've got to keep going. And, and you do, we came across stuff that I'd probably prefer not to know. But we um, but now we know it, so I had to deal with it. So d- things didn't really change until... I think that's that that's that time that point in time where what I remember up to the story being published and then what I or working with Russell and then what I know. So they're two different things. Um so the last two and a half years has been a whirlwind of having to deal with stuff that I had no idea that had been there for thirty seven years. I mean yeah. probably the most di- the most difficult thing was that my parents were told about this thirty seven years ago, but they didn't tell me. Oh, well. So they kept that a secret for whatever reason. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we'll ever get to the bottom of that one. But mm. So they, they, they decided not to say anything. So you've got um, a few things going on to deal with there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's a generational thing from hmm. your parents' side where they yep. would have thought they're being protective of you and it's the best thing, but it's... Um, it's again yep. comes back to this educational piece of yep. yeah this is systemic isn't it you know we yeah. we really need to change this whole conversation yep yeah I agree yeah I agree I mean that, that's it's um yeah different times I understand that but but rape is rape I mean it's it's it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it was eighty five or two thousand twenty three it's still rape oh go so yeah it's it's still wrong um yeah so. Um, so one day, I hope one day, um, and again, just emphasising this has got nothing to do with the current day Cricket Australia administration because they, I believe they're doing some good work and I believe they want to get things right. I really do. So it goes back to the, that 1985 administration that I'd just like to know who knew what, when they knew it, and what was going through your mind not to intervene uh, because it was obviously a cover-up that they thought, well, no one's ever going to, you know, look under this carpet. Well, well, they have, and they found some some nasty stuff there. So, uh, I just like to see those that were had the hands on the levers in 1985 who are still alive um, mm. show some accountability, and a bit of pain for for what they've for what they've done. But it's out of the courts now, so it'll uh, legally nothing can happen. Um, but it would be just nice to know um, who knew what and when and and why? Why? Why'd you? Why'd you cover it up? Yeah, it'd be nice closure on it. And so, no <laughs> one from have no one from that time has come out and that did cover it up have, has um, come and well, talked Russell, about it. Russell interviewed them. Um, yeah, I made I made uh, contact with the CEO at the time. A couple of voice messages, a couple of text messages, just got you know flat batted. Um, Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That's just total denial. Yeah. Mm. Well, they can deal yeah, with well. that. I mean, they can. They, I mean, it's all. It's in the article now. If they can. They can deal with that. They can. Um, and the article itself got through what three legals and three senior editors at the ABC. So it's. Um, and that, that's the other interesting thing about this story. The, the stories behind the story is actually more interesting than the story, if it makes sense, because there are so many sliding door moments, so many opportunities, so many quotes that at the time were a bit flippant that actually turned out to be really important. Um, one significant one was, um, so the night before we came home uh, was the night I was drugged by the, by, the, uh, by the doctor. I wasn't feeling too good. And we had a, uh, we were being farewelled at the embassy, the Australian embassy in Colombo, and we had to be there by six o'clock. And I, at about five o'clock, I, I was just crook, so I was just lying down and I asked my roommate to go and get the doc and come and see me. Um, so the roommate did. I remember the doc coming in, but no roommate. At the time, I didn't think anything of it. Um, and then I got injected. Um, eyes went heavy. That's all I know. So mm. 12 hours later, I'm just being suspended under the shower by four big big gorilla fast bowlers and getting dressed because we're going to get on a plane to go home, and I'm just going in and out of consciousness. So, um, if not for um, one of the ABC lawyers asking the question that what happened to the doctor after coming to see me, mm. um, we wouldn't have found out that I was actually quarantined for 12 hours. No one thought to ask that question. So going back to ring four or five of the boys to ask the question, you know, 37 years ago, can you remember when the doctor left the embassy to go and see me, did he come back to the embassy, back to the party? No one could remember. So I rang four blokes, couldn't remember it. The last bloke I rang, just before we hung up, <clears throat> said, anyway, we were, trying to, we were too busy trying to find somewhere for your mate to sleep. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we were trying to find somewhere for, for your mate, your roommate to sleep. And I thought, no one's ever told me that. So I rang my roommate and said, that, that night, where did you go? Mm. And he said, "I was." Um, he said, "I was told not to come back to the room because it's been quarantined because we don't know what's wrong with you." So I had to go and sleep in another room. No one thought to ask that question, except that lawyer. So that little moment there. Wow. We wouldn't have had the doctor in the frame if not for asking that question. So there's lots of little incidents like that. Um, it's quite extraordinary, really. Um, and I'll you know, do write a book one day, but it won't be about the tour or the, what actually happened. It's more about that story behind the story because it's, it's actually quite fascinating. But it's, it's interesting because I've read that story four times now and each time you read it, and it's a long read, but each, each time you read it, um, I feel, you hear yourself say, gee, poor bastard, what a, what a horrible thing to happen. And then you've got to slap yourself across the head and think, it's you, it's your story. So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like being disassociated. It's like, 
it's like this is, it's like you're watching a play but you're sitting up on the balcony but you're one of the lead actors but you're up there watching yourself on stage i don't know whether that makes sense but it's it's, it it's a really weird yeah. weird thing it's a weird it's a really weird thing odd thing i think it's a protection thing i i guess but um yeah yeah partially you know may, maybe a protection coping mechanism thing partially mm. because it's such a long time ago and you didn't even have the answers until now but yeah it would be just such a bizarre absolutely experience to go through yeah i mean i've got some vivid vivid memories but um i mean i would go to sleep at night sort of punishing yourself to think you know think beyond the the feeling of the stab of the needle into your hip think beyond that and your eyes getting heavy and i i've got nothing i just can't think can't think of anything and I'll be up till two o'clock in the morning, sort of forcing yourself and thinking, "This is bullshit. You can't just forget stuff like that. You've got, you're not working hard enough. It's got to be in there." Mm. Until mm. one day, a psychiatrist I had to do a couple of assessments for the what was going to be the trial. And um, at the end of the session, the psychiatrist said, "I think I've got what I need now to do the report. Is there anything else?" And I said, "Look, I know you're not my treating psychiatrist. You're you're an assessing psychiatrist, but this sort of thing happens every night." And he stopped me and said, tonight, do me a favour. Tonight, don't do that because whatever he's injected you with has had that specific purpose and function of removing whatever memory was there. You will never get it back. You mm. cannot get it back. No one had ever told me that before. So the difference that and I've been eight months, I've been going through this, getting three or four hours sleep, and that night I slept like a log. And the difference it made after that was incredible. But maybe I didn't ask the question. But no one had ever mentioned that you're not going to get that memory back. So don't don't try um try to find it. It's not there. Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to learn more, I've released my first book, Move Your Mind: How to Build a Healthy Mindset for Life, where I talk about my own journey with mental health and share tips from experts on how to maintain a healthy mindset. You can buy the book on Amazon or through my website at nickbrax.com/book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It comes back to what we were talking about before we um, started recording with what, what Ch Peter Chambers talks about with mm. the train tracks analogy and focusing on, mm. you know, what we can control. If we're sitting there trying to obsess about things that we never are going to be able to get an answer to, we're never going to yep. be able to control. We'll just drive ourselves crazy if we yep. do that. Yeah, absolutely. So give... I'll give Cricket Australia credit uh, at the moment. They they do want to turn things around. I genuinely believe that. Um, the relationship with Cricket Australia is better now than what it was. It started off on a rough patch, um, but we've talked through that. So there may be a role there uh, going forward in working with their integrity unit to work with players, umpires, match officials, anyone that comes under that Cricket Australia banner, really about that message around integrity, um, getting that message strong. And it's it's really about picking up that piece of paper. That, yeah. You know, take the opportunity to pick that piece of, piece of paper up because it actually feels good when you do it. That there's something, there's some satisfaction out of picking up that paper and looking around and think, actually, the street's quite beautiful now that I've picked it up. And I'm the yeah. one that actually picked it up. There's some satisfaction in that. It, it, there really is. It's hard. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. It's yeah, really not. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think it's super interesting what you're saying with that, that sliding doors moment where mm. so easily you could have just never found that piece of information and then mm. it remains 
unsolved and yep. you know it's it's terrifying to think how many situations are there that have happened and that are happening in all walks of life all over the place where similar things are going just being swept yep. under the rug and the people involved the victims don't mm. even know what's happened or they're not knowing how to deal with it how to you know how to look into it um it's just yeah it, it, it's really scary and it's things we don't we don't know because it it is not talked about there's so it's just yeah again really comes back to how critical it is that people like yourself are setting this example and putting this information out there because it will you know as you've already experienced like you were saying other people will come out and probably deal with their own version of what they're going through uh, I, I think you're spot on and I mean, I haven't done this alone. There's two significant people in this. I mean, Russell Jackson uh, as the. I mean, if you, I've got two very good people in my corner that that saw saw the injustice of what had happened and were prepared to to fight to work with me. I mean, Russell Russell's ability to 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 write to that level. Um, I mean, that's extraordinary to have him on your side and also uh, Michael Magazanic from Right Side Legal is the lawyer and Michael takes on those cases that, um, you know, you wouldn't, lawyers wouldn't be lining up to take. I mean, they're the, they're the, the horrible, mm. terrible ones. So, and again, like Russell, um, if you can do the work, you've got to do the work because you just have to. Someone's got to do it. So to have those two people in my corner and... Uh, all along the way um, was really helpful and, and just getting support from people. And it's an interesting thing. You'll get you'll get people that contact you and they might not know what to say because they're not quite sure whether to, what to say. So it might be a little text saying, hi, mate, just thinking about, you know, read the story, Jesus, you know, it's horrible, blah, blah, blah. And you'll get others that won't contact you for quite a while and then they'll contact you to say, I didn't know whether you wanted to talk about it or didn't know whether you but I'd find and I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption here Nick that in with your own story there it actually helps to talk about it I mean otherwise you wouldn't be doing this you know, podcast I, I think talking about it uh, helps it certainly helps me um, massively yeah I think so yeah I think so yeah I know it's helped, I, I know it's helped Pete, talking to Pete about it and, and I know he, his first interview with, with you was it, it solidified a lot of things in his mind um, and it certainly helped. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the thing. I, th I always have said, and I fell into, you know, had my own backstory and it played out in the media and I um, randomly fell into a situation where I was getting asked to talk at schools and share my story. And I was finding not only was, well, I was seeing, you know, so many kids going and, you know, getting help, telling, reporting back that that story helped provide a little spark for them to go and you know take that step but mm. at the same time it was helping me probably even more or as much yep. and and yep. you know I always talk about that I think you know it's really important to realize that that by doing this by sharing stories we're going to be helping ourselves as much as other people so it's a win-win and um, you know I've been working in this area for a long time now but I haven't seen anything as powerful as storytelling because that's you know that's mm. how we relate to each other that's how we Yep. Uh, you know, when we put society more than ever now, especially with social media and all the, you know, false information out in the world, we, mm. um, 
we sort of see a facade of what what's happening but we don't really hear the humanity of a lot of things and and that's what we need more than ever so yep. you know it can it can really change lives and it's just such an important thing yeah no i agree that that the role of uh mentorship particularly young young males um i work in the uh support coordination space at uh, as a support coordinator, I work with autistic individuals. So um, quite often you're dealing with uh, situations where dad's not there anymore. He hasn't been there for quite a while. So mm-hmm. a lot of behaviour is communication, as they say, So, um, which I think is true. But but just not having that, that strong, assertive male role model at home, um, uh, that's where you know, good support workers uh, can, can play a role, not, not just to... Um, you know, take kids out to the pitches and things like that. It's much, much more than that. It's more um, even just you know, learning how to talk to women with respect, learning how to talk to elderly people with respect, learning how to respect other people's property, learning how to be on time for appointments. Um, all, all these, all these sort of things that uh, good support workers can help with kids that just haven't got that male role model in their life, and it, it makes a difference. It really does. Oh god, yeah. yeah. I mean, we all need support, and yeah, that's the thing. And I think we live in a world now where we're taught to uh, be as independent as we can. Uh, but mm. it's not—I don't think it's the answer. Every single person, no matter who you are, we all need support. We all—we know—we can't do everything on our own. So I think mm. it's just such an important thing. Um, I, I agree, and it, it's it, it, quite often in the work that I do, it's 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 thinking getting all the evidence together, gathering it together, and then trying to work out what's the right support at the right time at the right level. And if, if you can get those three things, that, that mix going right, quite often you'll see good results. Um, yep. If the person is ready to engage, that's the other, that's the caveat. Um, but, yeah, right support, right level, right time, and you can see some magic and throw a bit of patience and belief in there as well, and really good things can happen. I've seen it. I know it can happen. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, yeah, thank you so much for, you know, being so open and sharing cool. your story. I think, you know, like we were saying before, you, you might not completely agree, but I think it is incredibly brave and courageous and, you know, will be <laughs> changing lives. Um, <laughs> we we finish every episode with five closing questions. Come before on, we, let's get into it. <laughs> we'll get into it. Is, is there anything else you wanted to sort of add, um, add or any final messages before we go into that? I mean, we've covered oh, quite a lot there. Just, just so, so many people that have... Um, Oh look! When the article came out, it would have shocked a lot of people. I, I, I know it would have. I know it did. Uh, but the the support's been overwhelming. Uh, um, just wonderful su- support from people I don't even know. Uh, yeah. But I'm determined that there will be there will be a good ending story to this, and I'm determined to work with Cricket Australia to make sure that that's the case. I I don't want to. Um, there's no point in just bagging out Cricket Australia. I, I think there's an opportunity yeah. here to work with them so i'm looking forward to working with them in, in whatever way shape or form that that uh that, that heads yeah that's great well yeah thank you again mate for sharing it cool. so we'll we'll um jump into these questions um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see how we go um yeah. so first one what's your best childhood memory that comes to mind oh so we lived in um early road box hill south and in the back in our backyard we had a concrete pitch and then we ended up putting some synthetic um, grass on it and um, one afternoon we had a bloke called Paul Rifle who's my good mate and a, a, a bloke called Julian Wiener who played cricket for Australia so 
going head head to toe <laughs> in our backyard cricket pitch with Paul running down the driveway, letting the ball go just where the cobblestones are. And Julian, the thing is, we didn't tell Julian there's a, there's a crack in the wicket. Um, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, it didn't didn't hit the crack and didn't break his jaw. But that that always cracks me up. We used, to, we used to have the floodlights on. We used to play floodlight cricket till ten o'clock at night. Must have drove driven the neighbours bloody crazy. But I love that. It was good fun. Yeah. I love those memories. As you're saying mm. that, of, of having pictures, memories of you know being in the park until ten at night, kicking the football around, mm. and all those things you do as kids. It's yep. yeah, great, great memories. I love that. Yep, no, it was good fun. You just stay outside until Mum says now dinner's on the table. So things exactly. different these days. Yeah. Oh, it's sad. I mean, I I feel lucky mm. that I think no I just yards, missed. Mate. No, it's horrible. Well, kids, you know, kids are growing up with a screen mm. in front of them, and mm. uh, it's just it's a it's a different thing. Yeah, it's yeah. cra- <laughs> crazy. Um, what do you think is currently the biggest burden on mental health in society? Oh boy. Um, when you say burden on mental health, so just sort of break that down a little bit. So you would just that question, just unpack that a little bit for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty trying to distill a very complicated question into mm. um, a short answer. So, what I'd say by burden, you know, um, a lot of people would say social media, or it could mm. be, you know, any anything in that in that area. You know, like what's yeah. sort of or one of the big things. Social media definitely, definitely um, lending lending. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say resilience. I'm, I'm, there just seems yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, there just seems to be. And I don't want to say it was you know different in my day, but kids just don't seem to be resilient these days. There just seems to be that lack of grit, that to to bounce back up and. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's not good. I think that's a big one. Yeah. Mm. When I, I think it's sort of probably being. I mean, it's gone too far the other way i think where we're you know it it's great everyone's to be nurtured which doesn't, not doesn't set you off. well that's no. not how the world works is it it's not it's gonna not. yeah it's not everyone gets surprised well mm, that's not how it works yeah you yeah. you might feel good as a, as a kid but you know once you leave school leave mm. the nest you know you're not gonna you're gonna really be thrown in the deep end because it's just not not mm. how it works so yeah that's an interesting one. I mean, you, you you see that when kids leave. Cause I work at I used to work at Utah School with um, student recruitment. So you see kids that are really academically brilliant Year Twelve students. They come into the university environment, and that culture shock, academic culture mm. shock, where they're used to people tapping them on the shoulder, but no one's going to tap you on the shoulder to say, "Hey, you should have been at that lecture." So there's that lack of resilience to think, "Well, actually, the answers aren't going to be fed to me on a plate." No, no, no. You've got to go and get them. So yeah. This is that transition into adulthood or university it's just that resilience to try and do things for kids so it's okay to be to be and we've talked about vulnerability without vulnerability you don't grow without, no. without failing you don't grow failing's good learning how to fail well is good failing bad is not good but we're not letting our kids fail yeah yeah it's i love that strange. I love what you've said there, and I talk about that a lot with failing. I think, you know, failing should be seen as learning because it's you're going to learn a hell of a lot more from failing than just getting what you want all the time. And that's where yeah. if we can apply that learning to, you know, 
look at it. How, how can we take something mm. away from that and improve? That's where you really grow, mm. and that's how you 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 get the results. So yeah. Well, there's there's a thing in disability support called duty of care. Most of us know what duty of care is, but there's something more important called dignity of risk. So dignity of risk is okay. I might have a I might have a disability, but I've got every right to be ripped off by getting short chains that banjos as you have. Well, mm. Why can't I? I've got every right to go on the monkey bars and fall off and break my leg rather than have yep. a support worker say, no, 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 don't do that because you'll fall off and break your leg. Well, it's my right to break my leg. It's yep. a dignity of risk. That's, we, we, yeah. seem to be, we seem to have lost that dignity of risk there. That let people take risks because without risk, they don't grow. Anyway, probably a subject for another day. Well, yeah, I think we could almost record a, a whole podcast episode <laughs> on, on just that topic, mate. So we might have to do a round two just talking about that, that area. It's, yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Um, what is your personal definition of happiness? Oh, choice and control. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. In everything. Love that. Everything. Yeah, just keep it simple, choice and control. When you think about what's happening in in, in Israel at the moment, it's just, oh. oh, for choice and control, it's just horrible. I don't want to think about it, actually, but you've got to because it's, it's real. Um, but you couldn't imagine it. It's just, just horrific. No choice and no control. Just horrible, absolutely horrible. I, you couldn't think of anything worse. It's just like, yeah, it's hard. Like you're saying, you don't no. want to think about it, but we, we have, have to, to but have it's to just it. it's shocking. Yeah, it's really shocking. So I'll, I'll go choice and control any day. Yeah, I love that. What are you most afraid of? Oh, it's funny. Um, I'm not. I'm certainly not afraid of dying. Um, I'd say boredom. Yeah. I, I'm in trouble if I'm bored. Yeah. Not not worried about dying. That's yeah. Just you know, tick that box when it comes. But it's more. It's more. Um, yeah, just bored. Scared yeah. shitless of getting bored. I've got to have the next big thing, the next big thing to look forward to. Yeah. If not, that if makes not sense. one there, I'll go and find one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense, mate. Well, I'm still terrified of dying, so I might have to have a chat to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to teach me how to get over that one. <laughs> well, you've said it yeah. yourself. I've heard, I've heard it on your podcast. That, that, that's, that's, look, we're all going to die. Yeah, we can't avoid it. It's, no. it's fact, so yeah. It's like tax. Exactly. It's like tax. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm. Well... <laughs> Final one, uh, what are you most proud of? Uh, I think right here talking to you, I'm really, really proud of that I've brought myself to a point where I'm really happy to, to contribute or be serviceable, have a purpose and talk to people like yourself on platforms like this. But um, you know, I'm, I'm quietly chuffed about Adam's case at the moment um, and with the Footscray Footy Club, I'm really, really happy for him and I hope he gets justice and that's, yeah, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, well, I think there's a huge amount to be proud of, mate. And again, you know, so great to meet you and appreciate you coming and sharing the story on here. And I know, Cheers, Nick. yeah, and I know for a fact it will help a lot of our listeners. So really appreciate it and great to connect with you. Good on you, mate. Good to talk to you. Have a good day. Appreciate it, mate. Cheers. See ya. Thanks to Jamie Mitchell for joining me today for Move Your Mind. Also, a huge thank you to those of you listening. I really appreciate your support. If you'd like to learn more or connect with me personally, visit www.nickbrax.com or send me a DM on Instagram at nickbrax. Please don't forget to click the subscribe button, leave a like or comment, share with your friends and follow me on Instagram. It really makes a difference. Thank you so much. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.